just give a quick, quick testimony. Those of you that were here last year remember I was uh, on a wheel in a wheelchair September fifth of last year, which was just a couple weeks before the conference. I had an accident and uh, literally almost lost my leg. Uh, but between be, between God's uh, miraculous grace in my life and and doctors knowing a lot more than they used to know they were able to save it. I've uh, had two surgeries and uh, spent seven months and two days on crutches, another month and a half to two months on a cane, and today I'm walking. So you could say I'm a walking miracle. Uh, But I want to give all glory to God for what what he's done in my life uh, in saving my leg. Uh, Appreciate Pastor Allen and Pastor Tracy inviting me to come back and share God's word with you again this year. It's uh, a privilege to share God's Word, but it's a privilege that I don't take lightly. It's a very sobering experience, very humbling experience, uh, especially when you're uh, up here and there's some great minds and great students of God's Word, and uh, uh, I want to make sure that I deliver it accurately and according uh, according to God's Word, And and uh, but I appreciate them giving me the opportunity to share with you tonight or this afternoon. Well, they told me that the only thing they had was uh, the next service starts at 6, so they said I have as much time as I want, but I promise I won't keep you that long. I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew's Gospel. Like many of the preachers already this week, we're going to be looking at a good bit of Scripture, but I want to begin in Matthew. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. I want to read verse 18. Matthew 16, verse 18. I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us the privilege of meeting together as believers in Christ to study your word. And Father, I just pray that as uh, we look at your word this afternoon that uh, the Holy Spirit would guide us and enable us to understand uh, what the church is and, and the responsibility we have in the church in this day and time that we live. Uh, We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're here at this conference this week, uh, you've probably struggled with the idea of the church. And when I say struggled with it, you've probably had some dealings with the church that weren't pleasant. Uh, Some of them you may have brought on yourself, some of them you may not have brought on yourself, but if you've come into an understanding of what we call the kingdom truths, you've probably struggled with the idea of the church, and when I say the church, I mean the corporate, the body of Christ. Uh, I believe that one day when we stand before the Lord, the bride of Christ will be removed from the body of Christ and the bride of Christ will become the wife of Christ. But what I want to talk to you about today is the body. 
the church, the ecclesia. Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock, and the rock is not Peter, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Upon the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus says, I will build my church. A couple things I want us to see is Jesus is the one that builds the church. We can't build a church. A pastor can't build a church. We can build buildings. We can build programs. We can build uh, a, a group of people and call it a church, but Jesus is the one that's building and is going to build his church. The other thing I want you to look at is that it's Jesus' church. It's not your church. It's not the pastor's church. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're like me, since you've come to understand the kingdom truths, you've probably been pretty hard on the church. I'll confess that tonight, this afternoon. I've been hard on the church. I've said things about the church. I've thrown stones at the church. But I'll be honest with you, the Lord's convicted me of a lot of that because it's His church. It's not perfect. And I'll go ahead and tell you, you can throw tomatoes, but your church isn't perfect either. But it's His church. There's been times since I've come to understand the truth of the kingdom that I've wanted to leave the church. Anybody ever been there? Man, they're not teaching the kingdom here. I want to leave. Man, you can't get anything here at this church. I want to leave. Or they're, maybe they're coming after you for believing the kingdom or teaching the kingdom or sharing the kingdom, and you just want to leave. I don't believe God's called us to leave his church. Let me read uh, a few verses <clears throat> about the church. I encourage you, go home and do a Google search. That's how I came up with a lot of these. Google's a wonderful tool for a preacher. Names for the church in the New Testament. I'm not going to read them all. We're the body of Christ. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, and he's put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Colossians 1, 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, I really like this one. Now you are the body of Christ, and members in particular. He doesn't say you are like the body of Christ. He says you are the body of Christ, and, the, and members in particular. Some translations say each one of you is part of it. Can I tell you something? When a body is missing part of its body, it can't function properly. When I was 
handicapped from my accident, my leg was not working correctly. I could not walk. I could not put weight on my leg. So I had to use crutches. You ever tried to carry something when you're using crutches? You, you, you can't do it. Now, I got pretty good at it. I'd put a cup in my teeth and, you know, walk, walk through the sofa. Or I got to where I could hold, hold something and, and kind of scoot around. But when my foot was injured, when my foot wasn't able to do what it was doing, my hands had to compensate for my feet in the use of crutches, and therefore my body wasn't working properly. God's put us in the body of Christ, and I believe that means that we're to be doing what Jesus would be doing if he was here on this earth today. And if we get out of the body of Christ, then God can't use us to the, to the full potential that he wants us to be used. In Ephesians 3.15, the Bible says that we're a family of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we're family. Do you love your family? We don't have to understand the kingdom truths to be part of God's family. All those that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are part of God's family. And we should love our family. Now, I know every family is dysfunctional. I promise you mine's just as dysfunctional as the next. But we should love each other. We should love each other like family. In 1 Peter 5, 2, God, uh, uh, he says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight, not by constraint, but willingly, nor filthy lucre, but of ready mind. He's, the church is called the flock of God. In John ten sixteen, Jesus says, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So where the flock of the body of Christ, the church is the flock of God or the fold of Christ. Let me tell you how much Jesus wants you to be part of his church. He says if one of his sheep gets out of the way, he leaves the 99 to go get it. I understand the difference between the bride and the body. I, I really do. But the truth of the matter is, I can't tell you, I can't stand up here and say with confidence that I'm part of the bride, and neither can you. The Bible says, him that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Even the apostle Paul said, I'm striving, I'm moving forward, not as though I've already attained, but I'm pushing forward to attain. None of us have made it to that place. And I personally don't believe that, that we can ever say in this life that we have made it. Now, I, I give one exception. If you're on death row for your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I think you can say with Paul that I've made it. Uh, but that's, probably, that's the exception. I don't believe any of us can ever say that we uh, are, are, are part of the bride. That should be our goal. That's our hope as believers. And aren't you glad we have a hope? Most Christians don't understand that they have a hope. But I know that I'm part of the body of Christ. I have confidence in that. And I know Jesus loves me. And if I get out of fellowship, he's going to bring me back in. At least he's going to try. Uh, in Ephesians 
2.22, we're called a habitation of God. It says, in whom also you are being built up together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. In order to be built up together, we have to be together for a habitation of God. In 1 Timothy 3.15, But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. We're called the house of God. That's the body. That's the believers. That's, uh, that's who we are as the church. We're the house. God dwells in us. This building isn't the church. This building isn't the house of God. This sanctuary isn't the house of God. We, the people that have placed our faith in Lord Jesus Christ, are the house of God. And God dwells in us. Hebrews 10.21 says that we have a high priest over the house of God. In Hebrews 3.6, it says, Christ is a son over his own house. Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? In Ephesians 2.19, now therefore you're no more strangers and foreigners, but citizens, fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. 1 Peter 2.5, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We're being built up together to be a spiritual house. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, he calls it the temple of God. What, know ye not that you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? And again, in 2 Corinthians 6.16, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Church is a pretty big deal in the New Testament. I encourage you to go just study all the passages that have to deal with the church. Now, I hope that, that each of us here are striving to one day become the bride of Christ. One day I, I hope to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll make you rule over much, enter into the joy of the Lord. That should be the goal of all, all believers, especially those of us that have come to understand the kingdom truths. But can I tell you something without getting thrown out? Understanding the kingdom truths doesn't automatically qualify us. <clears throat> and understanding the kingdom truths doesn't make us better than our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, the Bible tells us that God is not going to permit some believers to understand the kingdom truths. I don't know who God's going to allow to see or who he's not going to allow to see. We shouldn't be so quick to judge another brother because he doesn't have the same spiritual understanding that we do. And can I say something else? There's a lot of Christians that don't understand the kingdom truths that are a lot further along in their race than some of us. I don't believe understanding the kingdom truths is a, is a prerequisite to entering into the kingdom. I believe the way you live your life 
will determine whether. Now, I th- I, if you're like me, when I came to understand the kingdom, it sure helped me in the way I live my life. Because not only the motivation for rewards, but understanding that I might get punished if I don't live right is pretty good motivation to live right. There's a lot of Christians that don't need that. So we as kingdom believers, if you want to call us that, those who have come to understand the kingdom, what, what's, what it, yeah, we want to attain that kingdom. We want a position in that kingdom. But what are we to be, what are we to be doing now? We hear works. We hear live your life right. We hear, you know, God's going to reward you according to your works. Well, what, what are those works that we're to be doing? We're supposed to go to the grocery store and help little old ladies load their groceries. Is that the good works that qualify us for the kingdom? What are the good works that we keep hearing about? Well, first and foremost, they should be works that the Spirit of God leads us into. It isn't about just getting busy for the Lord Jesus Christ. I, like, I tell people, look, if God hadn't laid on your heart to do something, then don't do it. Tomorrow we may go back and look at the, uh, the building of the tabernacle. God told him, look, if, God, if, if it, ain't in, it ain't in your heart to give, don't give. Only those who were stirred up in their heart brought their gifts to build it. And you know what? They had more than enough. They had to tell them, quit bringing stuff, quit giving. If God hadn't laid on your heart a ministry or something, don't, don't feel like you need to just get out and do a good work to qualify for the kingdom. That's not what, that's not what we need to do. But I believe that we need to get, be part of the church, the body of Christ, and serve the Lord in his church. See, I believe God wants us to reach the kingdom. I believe that. But right now, he's got us here on this earth, and he's put us in his church. And, and can I say this? If we're not serving God faithfully in his church, I personally believe that he won't give us a position in his kingdom. Now, if you're like me, you get frustrated, you want to quit, it's hard. So this afternoon here, I want to encourage those of you that go to a non-kingdom believing church, and by that I mean as a church that doesn't necessarily preach kingdom truth from the pulpit, I want to encourage you to stay the course. Don't give up. I understand there's, there's, there's time and place for biblical separation. I personally could not go to a church that, that teaches lordship salvation. I believe that's a, a work salvation, and I, I don't believe I could work alongside a, a, and with a church that teaches and preaches that, that gospel. So I understand there's a pl- time and place for biblical separation, but not all churches are teaching lordship salvation. There's churches out there that are tra- teaching and preaching salvation by grace through faith. And if you don't have a church where you're at that's teaching the kingdom, then, then get in a church and get plugged in a church and do what God's called you to do in the church. And those of you that are part of a kingdom, believe in teaching, preaching church, let me encourage you, as much as all possible, live peaceably among all men. Don't cut ties with your brothers and sisters 
uh, with your sister churches. Now, I understand some churches are going to cut ties with you, and you, you, you can't help that. But I want to encourage us today to love the church, to be part of the church. So what is the church? What, what, what's the purpose of the church? Why should we be part of a church? Why can't we break away from the church and just have Bible study and study the Word and, and live out the Word of God as we see it? And why should we be part of a church? And as that church, what is our purpose? Well, I believe there's five things that the church is here on earth to be about. And if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 2, I want to get, draw these five things from Acts chapter 2. You can go throughout the entire New Testament and see these five things, but I believe Acts chapter 2 is probably the best passage of Scripture to, to look at. If we want to be a New Testament church, if we want to be a church that's uh, doing what God wants us to do, the early church in the New Testament's a good model church to look at. They, prob- they weren't perfect, just like no church has been perfect since then. But what this church in the New Testament was about, is, I believe, is what we should be about 2,000 years later as a New Testament church. First thing the church is supposed to be about is evangelism. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says, Then they that gladly received the word, his word, were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And if you go down to verse 47, the end of the verse says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, I understand that uh, when Peter was preaching, that he was preaching to uh, Jews who had been sacrificing for years and they weren't unregenerate, and when we talk about uh, these 3,000 souls, it's not necessarily their spiritual salvation, uh, but I'm using this to illustrate the point. The New Testament church is, a, is, a, is to be about evangelizing the lost. If you study the rest of the book of Acts, you'll see when the Jews rejected, they went to the Gentiles and shared the Lord Jesus Christ with unbelievers. We as the New Testament church need to be sharing the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified to a lost and dying world. And sometimes I'm, I fear that as kingdom believers, we forget that. We're so busy trying to convert the church to understand the kingdom, we forget that there's still a lost, a lost world that needs Jesus. People need to be saved. Jesus said in Matthew 9, verse 37, He said to His disciples, "'The harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few.'" Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time you prayed for a lost person? When was the last time you prayed for a lost family member? When was the last time you shared Christ with a lost person? We're commanded to do it. The Great Commission, go ye therefore and teach all nations or disciple all nations. Make disciples. You can't make a disciple out of a lost person until you lead them to faith in Christ. We have a responsibility to share Christ with the, with the world. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 5, But watch thou in all things endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. 
We're to share the good news that Jesus has died for our sins, and if we place our faith in him, we, can, we, we have a relationship with God and we have eternal life. That's the gospel. We need to share Christ with the lost world because Jesus is their only way, is the only way of salvation. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Outside of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, no one could ever be saved. We live in a day and time that you know, wants to say that all roads you know, lead to God. That's just not true. Jesus is the only way to God. Now, if we went around the room, we'd all have a different testimony on how we came to Jesus. But one thing we all have in common is we have the relationship with Jesus, which brought us into a relationship with God. We need to share Jesus with the world because Jesus is the only way of salvation. God gave us his Holy Spirit not only to lead us into all truth, but to be his witnesses. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. If you're born again, we have the Holy Spirit in us to be his witnesses. We're the body of Christ. We're his representatives here on this earth. And as kingdom believers, we ought to be more excited about sharing Jesus with, with, with the lost than, than, than if we weren't kingdom believers. People will not be saved without hearing the gospel. Romans ten fourteen says, how can they call on him on whom they have not believed? How can they believe on him in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? I've heard it said, you probably heard preach the gospel at all times and, it, and when necessary, use words. In other words, our life, and I believe that. I believe our lives should be living, living out a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ, but we need to verbally be sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with the lost. It's faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When I share the gospel with someone, when I'm trying to lead someone to faith in Christ, I make sure I share Scripture. I believe in a personal testimony. I believe in, in sharing, look, I was lost. I was a sinner, and now I'm found. And Jesus, may, I believe in sharing your personal testimony, but you better include the Word of God because it's the Word of God that changes people's lives. Evangelism helps us grow in Christ. In Philemon verse 6, it says, The communication or the sharing of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging or the full knowledge, the complete knowledge of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. When we share the gospel, when we share our faith with others, it's only building us up in our own faith. It's maturing us in our faith. Now, I'm, I, I don't want you to think that I'm up here putting some kind of legalistic rules. You know, you need to go back to the track rack and put 15 tracks in your pocket and make sure you give them out. You know, there's no magic number. There's no magic how many times have you... But will you listen to the Spirit of God and let Him lead you to people that are ready for Jesus? And when He leads you, share them. It's, it amazes me. I, I, I don't carry tracks. I don't carry a, 
New Testament in my back pocket. But it amazes me how many times God leads me through this, His Spirit to share Christ with someone. And to be honest with you, it usually blesses me more than it does the person I'm sharing with. And can I say this? <clears throat> when you get plugged into a body, into a local church, a local church can reach more people for, with, for Christ than you can on your own. It thrilled me, Pastor. I pulled in behind y'all's van yesterday morning. See y'all out picking up the kids. Those kids need Jesus. I, I ran the bus ministry for several years at our church till a tree fell on our bus, and now we're trying to raise money to buy a new, new bus. I'm going to tell you something. The bus ministry is one of the most frustrating ministries that, that exists. But those kids need Jesus. And they're not going to get Jesus. No one else is going to share Jesus with them. Their parents, like, well, you quit running the bus. We're picking up 50, 60 kids a week. We quit running the bus. And we might get one or two that get dropped off from week to week. Parents ain't going to bring them. Those kids need Jesus. And can I tell you something? Boy, the greatest people to share the kingdom with is people that just got saved. We have a responsibility as New Testament church to be evangelizing. We want to talk about doing good works. We want to talk about being rewarded one day. Are you sharing Christ with others? I understand we all have different gifts. We all have different abilities, and some of you are better at sharing your faith than I am or vice versa, but everyone should be sharing their faith. Everyone should be sharing the gospel with, with, with the lost. And, and if you're not one that's, that's great at verbally sharing the gospel, get in a minute. You know, Let the Lord lead you into a ministry, into a church that has a program, a ministry that is sh- sharing the gospel. You know, can you drive a bus? That's part of it. That's part of evangelism. And that's how the church works so beautifully together. Again, I'm not telling everyone to go start a bus ministry. If God doesn't lead you to start a bus ministry, don't. But pray, Lord, we need to reach the lost. How can we do it? Tell us how. What can we do as a church? What can I do individually to reach the lost with the gospel? Second thing that is the church, responsibility of the church, the purpose of the church discipleship. If you'll notice in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or teaching. They continued steadfastly. This wasn't something that they just met for 30 minutes a week and said, let's do a little Bible study and and then go on to, you know, whatever. This was a, a priority in the church. And let me say this, we're looking at five things. I don't know if there is one that's more of a priority than others. I believe that all churches should be exercising all five of these things that we're going to look at this, this afternoon. But they, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Not only were they leading people to faith in Christ, but they were discipling them. We have a responsibility as the church to be disciplers or disciple makers, not just lead them to faith in Christ, but to disciple these young converts and to help them mature in their faith. We're commanded to do it. The Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe 
all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That means everything that Jesus taught the disciples, the disciples are to be teaching the ones they lead to faith in Christ. And as it goes on down the road, here we are, we're to be teaching the same thing. We're to be discipling. Now, in my experience, there's been Christians that I've shared the kingdom with, and bam, they got it, they jumped on it, they loved it, they embraced it, and, and, but there's some Christians that you can't do it like, like we See, we, we think, oh, well, if we're going to decide, we've got to teach them the kingdom. We've got to share the kingdom with them. And ultimately, yes, that should be our goal. Have you ever shared the kingdom with someone and they rejected it and they turned away and you said, oh, well, they're just carnal Christians? Maybe it was the way you shared it with them. Jesus told his disciples, he gave them the same message he gave us to go to the Jews. Remember Matthew chapter 10? He said, be gentle as doves and wise as serpents. And he said, you know what, if one city doesn't accept it, just go on down the road. Don't get all bent out of shape. You know what, I believe the first thing that we need to be teaching Christians in order to disciple them, following the pattern in, in Luke chapter 14, the great passage on discipleship, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. See, before we share the kingdom message with these people, let's make sure they're loving God. Their relationship with God is right. Jesus says, if any man comes to me and hates not his father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he can't be my disciple. So we find Christians that are carnal. We find Christians that love the things of this world. We find Christians that are, uh, that are Laodicea and whatever you want to call them, and we throw the kingdom at them, and we, and we get upset that they don't accept it. Well, they're not going to accept it. They haven't even become a disciple yet. We need to start teaching them that the things of this world are not as important as loving God. Before I ever saw the kingdom, I saw the truth that the most important commandment in all the Bible was to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And while I don't think we ever fully get to where we're supposed to be in our love to God, I was headed in the right direction. I was growing in my relationship with Him. So when someone came to me and showed me the kingdom truth, I was ready for it. We need to be patient with our students that we're trying to make disciples. We don't need to whap them upside the head, and when they don't accept it, turn them, turn them loose and give up on them. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't give up on you? We need to teach people that loving God above all else is first and foremost. That's the beginning of a disciple of discipleship. Secondly, we need to teach them to deny their, themselves and take up their cross. Jesus said in Luke 14, 27, whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Self-denial is the next step of, of, of discipleship. We need to teach him that we need to sit down and count the cost. For, Luke 14, 28, for which of you intending to build a tower sits not down first and counts the cost, whether he has sufficient to fish, finish it. We need to be teaching these people, look, it's going to cost you. If you want to be a disciple of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to cost. Don't hit them upside the head and say you're going to lose your soul. 
but sit them down, you know, teach them, disciple them, bring them into these truths slowly. What's it going to cost? Well, it might cost a friend. It might cost a relationship. It might cost you your job. Jesus might call you into full-time ministry. It, it, it might cost you everything. It might cost your life. Are you willing to give it? Discipleship requires forsaking all. Verse Luke 14, 33, Likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. And once you've brought a Christian to that point in their lives, boy, you bring the kingdom in, and all of a sudden they said, it's, a, it's different because they realize if I forsake it all, I get it all. Discipleship should bring a Christian to the kingdom truths. But we don't have to start there with them. We have a, listen, we talk about standing before the Lord in the judgment seat of Christ. You know how you've shared the kingdom truths with people is going to be brought up there. Jesus said to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. What is a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Our goal for discipleship is to bring people into the truth of the kingdom and their understanding of the kingdom. But please be patient with your students. Look at the early church. It says in verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And look what happened in verse 43. It says that fear came upon every soul. That's the result of discipleship, the fear of God. Is that not what the, the kingdom message is all about? We need to be discipling as a church. We need to be uh, uh, bringing people to faith in the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and preparing them to stand before the Lord in that day. Now, those of you that don't go to a kingdom-believing church, you're probably not going to hear that preached from the pulpit. And you may even hear things contrary to that from the pulpit. And there'll be days you want to say, that's it, I'm done, I quit. I'm not getting anything out of that the preaching or whatever. Are you doing any discipling at your church? If there's no one doing any discipling, you get in there and fill in the gap. You don't have to disciple from the pulpit. If God hadn't called you to preach, you find you a friend, a brother in Christ that's open to the message of the kingdom and you share it with them. Don't hit them upside the head with it. Show them some typology. Show them, show them, just show them little things and, and get wet his appetite. Put some salt on his tongue. When I started a Sunday school class at the church I'm at, we started with salvation by grace through faith. We went through the Old Testament types, then we went through the New Testament, and we showed that salvation, the only thing you have to do to be saved is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And once you've done that, you know that you can know you have eternal life. It's not a hope. It's not a guess. It's not a, 
a, a game, you can know that you have eternal life. You can know that you're a child of God. An elderly woman that's been in church all her life came up to me after several months of studying salvation by grace through faith. She came up to me and said, Philip, I've always struggled with assurance of my salvation, but through this class, you've helped me nail it down. Start with that. Help people get excited about it. People are scared to death because one day they're saved and the next day they're wondering if they're saved and they never know if God really loves them or not. Help them with that, then lead them on to the next. We have a responsibility to be discipling in the church. And just because your church doesn't do the job you think it ought to be doing in the area of discipleship doesn't mean that you should leave. You know, I hear Men say, well, I want my family in a place where they're getting fed. And I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a family man. I'm a dad. You know what that means? We just have a bigger responsibility as men ourselves to make sure we're feeding them at home. Evangelism, discipleship, all are both things that the church's purpose uh, here on this earth. We also have the purpose of fellowship. Verse 42, not only did they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, but they continued steadfastly in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Verse 44, it says, they believed, all that believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 46, it says, they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. See, fellowship is one of the purposes of the church. Now, fellowship doesn't necessarily mean bringing a covered dish. That's what we think of fellowship, which that's part of, and that's an important part of it. But fellowship is part of the is one of the purposes of the church. And let me share with you a few things about fellowship. One, unity is essential for fellowship. Verse forty-four it says that the believers were together and had all things in common. They were united. They had a common faith and a common purpose. Unity is essential for fellowship. If you're divided, then the fellowship is broken. Verse 46, it says, they continued daily with one accord. Now, did they agree on every doctrine, every area of the Bible? No. You see that in the Bible. Peter and Paul, they disagreed on some things. They agreed on the essentials. And, and I, again, there's areas, there's, there's, there's doctrines that, that you stand up for and you don't compromise and you don't budge. But there's some, there's some doctrines in the Bible that you and I can agree to disagree. If we walked around, went around the room, all of us are, none of us are going to agree 100%. But you find the common ground, and you unite, you fellowship. Unity is essential for fellowship. Secondly, unity requires meeting together. Verse 46, it says, They continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were meeting together. You can't have fellowship, you can't have Christian fellowship if you leave the church, if you don't assemble with the church. And that's one of the things that God has called us, we, He wants us to have fellowship. We need to be in fellowship. 
Hebrews 10, 25 says, Not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, if you're like me, I love, one of, I love these conferences not just for the, the studies and the preaching and the teaching, but I love the fellowship, to meet it with other kingdom believers. And there's a fellowship that's real, real sweet. It's, deeper, it's on a deeper level than you get with a, a Christian that's not a kingdom believer. But can I tell you something? If you love the Lord Jesus Christ and he saved you from your sin, I got something to fellowship with you. We can fellowship. I love meeting people and just talking about Jesus. You know, the kingdom life has changed my Christian life. The kingdom message. But before the kingdom message changed my Christian life, Jesus changed my life. We need to be fellowshipping with other believers. And if you say, well, I don't need their fellowship, I'm on a deeper, whatever your excuse is to not be part of the church, they need yours. And we have a responsibility to give it to them. Again, some people are going to throw you out. They're going, they don't want your fellowship, and you can't do anything about that. Wipe the dust off your feet, the Bible says. But until that happens, do your best to live peaceably with all men and fellowship with them. Find that common ground. Yeah, have, you know, do Bible study, look at things together, challenge each other. Iron sharpens iron, but do it so in, in fellowship, in agreement. Notice the, the foundation of fellowship is our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 3 through 7, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. This is the message that we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Our fellowship's based on the Lord Jesus Christ and our relationship to him. Don't deny fellowship to those that don't have the understanding that you have. Fellowship involves a partnership. Philippians 1, 5, Paul told the church, he was thankful for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. They partnered together in order to share the gospel with others. They fellowship through their ministry together. <clears throat> Galatians 2, 9 says, When James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be the pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave to me and to Barmas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the heathen and they should go to the circumcision. They came together and said, All right, you go this way and I'll go that way and we're going to fellowship together through our ministries. That's one thing I wish that us kingdom believers would do. I wish we'd get together and fellowship in the gospel of the kingdom and, and help each other and figure out a way that we can help each other and work together to promote this, this message. It's great to come together and learn together. I, I wish we could find a way to, to help each other in our ministries. Some of you do that. I'm not saying we don't do that, but I feel like we could do better. 
Because the truth of the matter is there's none of us that can fulfill the Great Commission on our own. It's through working together that we, we accomplish that. Evangelism, discipleship, fellowship, three things that we as the New Testament church are to be about. Fourth thing I want us to look at is ministry. Verse 45, it says, They sold their possessions and their goods and parted them to all men, to everyone that had need. Now, I'm not going to say this, this afternoon that we all need to throw our money in a pot and then distribute it evenly. That's, that's not what I believe the Bible teaches. But we, has, but we have a responsibility as the, of the, as the church to meet the needs of the people. What is ministry? I believe it's simply that, meeting the needs of people in the name of Jesus. Can I tell you something? When I got hurt, I've never... I, I never really needed to be ministered unto. But when I got hurt, I needed it. And I got more cotton-picking food from the church and, and letters and cards. And, I mean, I got more food. I, we threw food away. It wasn't the food that I needed, but it was what the food represented. I needed it. And, and, and the church I go to, it and full of kingdom believers, these are just believers that love Jesus, they ministered to me. And can I tell you something? It absolutely changed the way I look at the church. Because there's a lot of churches that don't understand the kingdom that are ministering. Jesus ministered. Are we not to be like Jesus? Matthew twenty twenty eight. even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. For to follow the example of Jesus' life, we ought to be ministering to people. We ought to be meeting the needs of the people. We need to be attentive to people. We need to listen to people. Find out what they need. They have Ultimately, people need Jesus. But Jesus looked at physical needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs. He looked at all the different needs of the people and he ministered to them in order to bring them to a place where they could trust him. We need to be ministering to people. And every single one of us are called to be full-time Christian ministers. The idea that we've got a pastor to do that is foreign to Scripture. In fact, if you want to, I believe that, Bible teaches in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 that he gave pastors and teachers and evangelists, it says, for the perfecting of the saints or the equipping of the saints in order that they might do the work of the ministry. God didn't give you a pastor so that he could do all the ministry. He gave you a pastor to teach you the word of God so that you could be edified and, and, and matured so that you can do the work of the ministry. We're all to be ministers. We're the body of Christ, each one of us part of it. We each and every one of us have a part in his body that we're to accomplish. Someone in your church, I didn't get to see who was driving, someone drove that bus. Someone's keeping the nursery. Someone's cooking some meals. All that's ministry. When I was in the hospital after my accident, people were coming in and out of that hospital Every day, just to say, hello, Philip, I love you. And it ministered to me. 
I'll be honest with you. I, I thought the church was all about we got to teach the kingdom. We got to teach the kingdom. That's what the church is all about. We got to teach the kingdom. And that's one part. I'm not saying it's not. But when I was in that hospital, I realized that I, I have been neglecting my responsibility as a Christian to be a minister. And I've tried, I've tried to do better when someone in my church is hurting, whether in the hospital or, or, or uh, going through a relationship problem, whatever the case may be, a phone call, a visit, anything. That's ministry, and that's what Jesus would have us be doing here on this earth. Remember that, uh, that, that story about the man that, that was hurt and all those people, those priests and the rabbi were just walking by him? When we stand before the Lord one day, he's going to say, you remember that man that I put in your path? And you walked right by him. How we doing? We can teach the kingdom, we can preach the kingdom, we can debate the kingdom, but how are we doing in our day-to-day lives? How are we doing in our churches? Are we fulfilling the purpose for which God called us to be and live out here on this earth? We're the body of Christ. Each one of us is part of it. We have a responsibility to be doing what Jesus would be doing if he were here on this earth. Finally, we're to be worshiping God. In verse 47, it says that they were praising God. Now, I want to confess to you that worship is an area that I feel that I'm very immature in. There's people that have spent their whole lives to the study of worship, and, and, uh, and I, I haven't spent a lot of... I've, I've started to study the area of worship, but it's something I feel that I'm very immature in my knowledge, but it's part of the life of the church. It's part of the Christian's life. We're to worship not only, I believe we should worship God individually, but I believe we should come together and worship God corporately. God inhabits the praises of his people. We need to come together to worship. If all you're doing is having a Bible study, I'm sorry you're not fulfilling the responsibilities of a church. We're to worship God. What is worship? You can study and read and hear a thousand different definitions of worship. But I'd like to share with you the definition that I learned from my pastor, which I believe hits it on the head. Worship is simply a life-changing encounter with God. you study worship in the Bible, uh, it's, it changes. Before the Mosaic economy, if you study the first, really the first worship experience in the Bible was when uh, Cain and Abel brought sacrifices before the Lord. One was accepted, one was not, which tells us right off the bat, there's a right way and a wrong way to worship God. But before God gave Moses, the law and the tabernacle was established. They, they, you know, Abraham went to offer his son Isaac. You know, this guy built an altar. Noah built an altar, offered some bird sack. There wasn't a lot of structure to it. Now, when we get to the, the tabernacle and Moses, 
Boy, I'm telling you, it is structured to the T. There, I mean, if they didn't cross their T's and dot their I's, God strike you dead. And he did some. Uh, Aaron, uh, Aaron's boys, Nadab and Abihu, offered some strange fire, and bam, God struck them dead. <clears throat> but when we get to the New Testament, how are we to worship God? Believe it or not, it, the Bible really doesn't have a lot to say about worship in the New Testament. And uh, but let me let me share with you some thoughts on worship. First and foremost, we can only worship through the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, "I'm the way, the truth, and life; no man comes to the Father but by me," He wasn't just talking about salvation. He was talking about every time we come into God's presence. We can only come through the Lord Jesus Christ. I encourage you to study the tabernacle. We just finished our study through Exodus, and it has absolutely changed the way I look at coming into God's presence. Now, we live in a day and time. if All believers in, in this day can enter into the holy of holies by the blood of Jesus. But in Moses' day, there was a special group of people, the Levites, the priest that could enter the holy place, and only the, the high priest could enter the holy of holies once a year. But today, each and every one of us that have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ can come directly into the holy of holies, into the presence of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you study that tabernacle, there was a progression, there was a way they first had to come by that altar. Then they had to come by that laver. Then they come into the inner sanctuary before they come into the Holy of Holies. Before we enter into God's presence, whether it's at home in our quiet time, at church and corporate worship, we should, we should address that and come into that just like we do when we come into the Lord's table. We should have some self-evaluation. We should pray, Father, forgive me of my sin. The Bible says that if your brother has ought against you, you leave your gift at the altar. You don't even come and worship God if you have ought against a brother. Your brother has ought against you. You go get that right first. Then you come back and worship. The only way we can enter into God's presence for worship is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever we come into his presence, we should, we should uh, come by that, from, by that labor and have our feet washed. You know, we talk about the story of Jesus washing the feet. He's our high priest. Our feet get dirty in this world. Worship's to be done in spirit and truth. John 4, 24, God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, and in truth. Remember the Samaritan uh, woman was saying, you know, we worship over here and they worship over here. What's the right place? And Jesus said, look, all, all that's about to be done away with. They that worship him are to worship him in spirit and truth, which I... I believe means we can worship God anywhere, but it should be according to his spirit and according to his word. Worship should come from the heart. Matthew 15, 8 and 9, this people draws nigh unto me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, they do worship me. I wonder how Jesus feels about our worship sometimes. In, uh, in, in Isaiah chapter 1, 
God tells the nation of Israel, he says, why, why do you keep bringing these sacrifices? They're making me sick. He said, why do you meet every Sabbath day? Why are you doing what? Go out and live right. Go out and do right. If we're not living right Monday through Saturday, God's not impressed with our worship on Sunday or whatever day it is you choose, which I, I don't believe there's a day that we are required to worry. We're under the New Testament grace. We, <clears throat> worship can be through speaking or singing. Ephesians five eighteen through 20 says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, seeking and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 15 and 16, it says, By him, therefore, let us offer up the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. When we meet together as the church, we ought to vocally be worshiping God, whether through song or prayer, but there's, there's a place for corporate worship. 1 Peter 2.9 2, says, You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we can worship God through our voices, whether praying or, or, or just giving thanks to God or singing. That's one way to worship God. I believe we can worship God through listening. We're instructed over and over again just to listen to the Word of God. When the preacher preaches, I believe that's part of worship. You're listening to God. When you come into your quiet time and read your Bible, that's worship. We have a responsibility to worship God while we're here in this life, in His church. Not only does worship involve listening or speaking, but worship involves doing. Romans 12, 1, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service, or some translations say, which is your reasonable act of worship. Not only are we to come to church on Sunday or, or, and, and worship God through our singing, but we should be worshiping God all week long. Our bodies lay down on the altar of sacrifice, and that's reasonable in God's eyes. Because of what God's done for us, it's reasonable that we present our bodies back to him. Samuel told Saul, you know the story when he didn't slay all the Amalekites like he was told. And he said, I've got all these lambs to sacrifice to God. And Samuel said in 1 Samuel 15, 22, As the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Five things that we as Christians, and especially those of us who understand the kingdom truths, we need to be plugged into a local church. We need to be evangelizing. We need to be making disciples. We need to be ministering. 
We need to be fellowshipping. We need to be worshiping. If you're not doing that, better get started. Because one day we will stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. And it's my opinion that these are the things that he's going to judge us by. I love the kingdom message. It's, it's opened up the word of God to me in a way that, I mean, you all know that you, I love the kingdom message. And it breaks my heart when other Christians can't see it. And I want more than anything to share the kingdom message with Christians and see the joy light up on their face when they read a passage of Scripture and say, boy, I had that so wrong all along. Look at what it really means. But let's not forget the others. Let's be patient with those who haven't made it to the same place we have. Stay true to his church. And can I just go ahead and say, can we be careful not to be so judgmental? You hear you hear people, you know, boy, they're being Pharisee, you know, they're like the Pharisees. They're just let's love the church. Jesus loved it so much he died for it. Father, thank you for this time and this place that we gather together to study your word. Father, thank you for loving us enough to die for us. And Father, thank you for placing us into the institution that you've decided to call the church. Father, I pray that as kingdom believers, we would be the most faithful and, and church members that you have. That we'd be making a difference everywhere we go. Every local assembly we come in and out of, we'd be making a difference for you. But Father, not only that, we'd be making a difference for you in this world, reaching people with the good news of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us to do the things that you've called us to do while we're here on this earth so that one day we can hear those words that we so long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We love you and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.